Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, watch out, Texas. If you thought Hurricane Harvey was bad, here comes Hurricane Trump down there today. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today on a Tuesday, uh, August 29, running out of time here in the month of August. End of summer right upon us here leading up to uh, Labor Day weekend. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us. Good to have you with us as we're booming on to you from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day, uh, the news from Houston, of course, continuing to watch the uh, very, very dangerous, very frightening situation down there where rains continue, expected to continue through Thursday night. And again, we're talking about, in some areas, an accumulation of an incredible, massive, unbelievable 50 to 60 inches of rain. Noah, where are you when we need you? Build that ark. Uh, also bring you the news here from Washington, D.C. Donald Trump yesterday stoutly defending his pardon of Joe Arpaio and the administration announcing it is reversing uh, a policy of the Obama administration, a ruling of the Obama administration, and is allowing local police departments to buy all kinds of extra military gear, tanks, and who knows what else, a surplus military gear from the Pentagon to make the streets of American cities look like even more like an armed camp. All of that coming up, we want to hear from you. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Be part of the conversation. We'll jump right into all the news of the day, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Tuesday morning. We begin with the big day one of Amazon and Whole Foods. I know. Exciting. Match made in heaven, of course. No uh, longer whole paycheck. No longer whole paycheck. Just a couple of months after Amazon's $13.7 billion acquisition of the uh, organic supermarket chain Whole Foods. Uh, Amazon had announced late last week that starting yesterday, you would see some pretty significant discounts on many items within the store. So the New York Times 
went to the Columbus Circle store in New York City. Oh, I'll be there today. Did you, oh, you, You'll take a stop there, see what you may find. Uh, you'll be in New York CNN's City. CNN's in Columbus. In, oh, that's right. That's right there. In, in uh, Columbus Circle Tower. That's yeah. right there. So that they is went, an incredible store. They went last week. They got uh, a small grocery <laughs> basket of items, and then they went yesterday and got the same grocery basket of items and compared the prices uh, when it comes to organic unsalted butter. Old price, $5.29. New price, $4.49. That's pretty it's significant. Saving, 80 cents. Uh, bananas went down 30 cents a pound. Eggs went down significant from six nineteen to four forty nine. Overall, they saved 14%. Original check, $28.02. Uh, Monday's check, yesterday's check with the discounts, $24.04. So uh, exciting times at Amazon Plus. They're selling... The uh, Amazon Echo, yeah, right that. there in the right. front of the produce, yeah, on sale for ninety nine dollars. Right, very very smart. So you haven't been to you haven't been to Whole Foods yet. You didn't go yesterday. You got a chance to go? Uh, no. With the new discounts? No. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm gonna go down to uh, the one of the new locations here on H Street. Uh, the San Diego Union Tribune publishing a little bit of a scoop here, a little bit of a gossip scoop. Uh, about Congressman Duncan Hunter from California, the oh, Republican. Yeah. Remember, yeah. remember yes. uh, Duncan Hunter as the vaping congressman. Uh, he likes to vape uh, uh, the vapor tobacco, if you know what I mean there. Uh, he was caught uh, at a bar talking about Donald Trump. And supposedly, from four people who were present uh, at this little gathering at the sports bar in California, Duncan Hunter said about Trump, quote, he's just like he is on TV. He's an asshole, but he's our asshole. <laughs> ringing endorsement from a Republican in Congress, the state of California, the leader of their party, Donald Trump. He's their asshole. Yeah, right. You can keep him. I think exactly. They can have that asshole. We don't want him. We don't need him. We've already seen too much of him. Some people said when he got elected, let's give him a chance. We've given him a chance. Get him out. Get them the hell out of there now. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, uh, Texas. Uh, watch out. Here he comes. Donald Trump heading to Texas today to Corpus Christi and up then to uh, Austin. Uh, hopefully, he will uh, stay. Uh, I still think it's a prema- premature visit. Uh, hopefully, he will stay away from the Houston area where they are still pulling people from uh, their second-floor windows and the roofs of their homes. Uh, and, but Donald Trump says, uh, yep, uh, and uh, don't don't worry, Texas. I'm not only coming down today. I'm coming back. I'll probably make two trips to Texas because I want to be there and have my photo taken so I can use that in campaign as that's what it's all about. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the program on a Tuesday, August 29. Great to see you today. And appreciate very, very much your being part of the program, uh, The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As always, we're right here in the heart of the action and our studio on Capitol Hill, where it is raining just a little bit this morning, but nothing like our good friends down in the Houston area are experiencing. We're looking at you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also coming to you live on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and joining you out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, and we are your progressive morning voice of Chicago. Uh, And don't forget, 
all those numbers on the podcast are really, really growing every day. So uh, check it out. We know you can't listen to or watch the entire show uh, every morning, uh, but you can pick it up later in the day, listen to any part of the show you want or the entire two hours. Uh, Go to YouTube. uh, I'm I'm sorry. Go to BillPressShow.com. And as Jamie always reminds us, uh, don't just listen in, but um, give us a rating. Rate, rate, rate and review. Subscribing and is review. obviously the most important thing. Right. We want to make sure it's easy because it'll just pop up on your phone every day if you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever your platform is. But give us a rating and review. It'll help us reach a larger audience. Yeah. So let's start. Where do we start today? Let's start uh, in Texas, uh, the latest. The rescue efforts have been incredibly impressive. Uh, I, I must say, I totally disagree with his uh, politics. Uh, but I think the governor of Texas shows that he's uh, in charge, in command there, uh, very, very much. Uh, the person who is leading the rescue effort, together with the mayor, uh, mayors of uh, Houston and Corpus Christi and other other impacted uh, cities, uh, it was and and the rescue efforts, as I say, go on around the clock, uh, where there's there too many calls. I saw today something like a thousand calls an hour. Uh, coming in to uh, 911 for people uh, needing some assistance, getting out of their homes, uh, more than state, federal, and local agencies can handle. Uh, and so just thousands of civilians have pitched in with their own boats, their own crafts, circling uh, through the streets of Houston and picking people up and getting them to safety. It was Mayor Sylvester Turner yesterday who said at that point yesterday afternoon, how many people were already uh, in the evacuation centers with a lot more to come. The number right now is about 5,500, and I suspect by the end of the day that number will rise exponentially. And remember again, it is still raining in uh, Houston, uh, raining all day yesterday, all the coverage that I watched. Uh, The storm is expected now. It's almost like it slowed down a little bit, And now it's intensifying again, almost as if it went away and came back for a second uh, hit on uh, the Houston area. Uh, And those rains expected to continue through Thursday evening with, again, as much accumulation of as much as 50 to 60 inches. Uh, And uh, the governor yesterday saying this is going to be a long, long time uh, of recovery and uh, we're going to be like this for uh, this. He called it the pardon me, the new normal. We need to recognize it's going to be a new normal it will be a new and different normal for this entire region. Uh, but we will not stop uh, until we get as far as we can. Uh, on uh, the uh, Texas front, um, Governor Chris Christie of uh, New Jersey yesterday couldn't help but point out uh, that as a block. The Republican uh, members of the of Congress from Texas opposed any additional funding to help out the states that were hammered by uh, Hurricane Sandy. What is about five years ago, five or six years ago, whatever, uh, a- a- including, of course, principally uh, New Jersey, New York, Delaware, uh, up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, every every Republican in, in uh, from Texas in the Congress voted against it including Ted Cruz, Chris Christie yesterday saying, I told you so. The, uh, the congressional members in Texas are hypocrites. Um, and I said back in 2012, they proved, they'd be proven to be hypocrites. It was just a matter of time. 
Yep, a matter of time, and now this is their turn, and you know that they're going to be begging for federal help. And by the way, uh, they deserve it the same way New Jersey and other states deserved it back in 2012. If there's one good thing that we can say about Chris Christie, it's how he handled Hurricane Sandy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. He was particularly good at uh, reassuring the residents of New Jersey and New York as well, reaching out across the tri-state, letting folks know that things were going to be okay. And of course, we remember the, the famous moment with President Obama. Which turned into well, the president went up there, and Chris re- Christie did yeah. the right thing. He welcomed him. He went out to and he and he toured the storm damage with him, uh, for which he was pummeled by uh, fellow Republicans. There is one other side of uh, of uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey, though, uh, that is not getting as much attention, I think, as it should. Uh, Donald Trump, for one, doesn't get it at all. Uh, he yesterday at his little news conference with the uh, president of Finland said. Uh, and remember, we, we, yesterday we talked about uh, his tweets and how he keeps bragging about the size of Hurricane Harvey. Uh, yesterday he called it again historic. It's a long road, still pouring, still a lot of rain. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. They've, I've heard the words epic. I've heard historic. That's what it is. Well, you know, in that sense, Donald Trump for once is telling the truth. This is uh, we have never seen anything like Harvey before. Harvey is, in all United States history, the meteorologists are telling us. Now think about this. In all of our history, recorded history, we have never seen a storm as fierce, as long-lasting, and as destructive as Hurricane Harvey. Never in our history. Um, but, you know, we knew it would happen. This is what the meteorologists have been warning us about for decades. So Harvey, let's let's face the fact. This is what Donald Trump doesn't get when he talks about an epic storm, historic storm. It's time to just spell it out there. Harvey is what climate change looks like. Harvey is what climate change looks like to a nation and a world that has failed to take it seriously. And now we see how bad it is. Not too late, but certainly way, way, way later than we should have acted uh, on climate change. And only a sign of how much worse it's going to get if we don't do something now. So here's the man who pulls us out of the Paris Accords and yet now is scrambling and trying to show how strong he is and how on the job he is in dealing with Hurricane Harvey, where he's just going to be responsible for creating even worse storms and worse situations than Harvey in years to come, unless he comes to a census on climate change. Why doesn't somebody, can't can't somebody just bang sense into that blockhead, Donald Trump? I mean, I mean if, it's just disgusting. If Donald Trump read the failing New York Times, mm-hmm. as he calls them, uh, there's an article this morning about, you know, Harvey is called a 500-year flood. This is only supposed to happen every 500 years. Katrina was called a 100-year flood. Yeah, And right. yet they've been happening pretty frequently. Uh, Kevin Trenberth is a scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado. He is quoted in this Times story. He says, the probability of them occurring, these 500, 100-year floods, has increased substantially because of climate change. What used to be a 500-year event has become a 50- or 100-year event. Actually, there I, 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 in that article I read this morning, too, there, are, there have been three 500-year floods 
This is the third, Harvey, is the third 500-year flood in the last three years in Houston. Right. Something's going on, Donald Trump. Open your damn eyes and take a look at what it is and come to your senses on climate change. Uh, this is the worst of those three storms, but this is the th- not the first. This is the third 500-year flood in Houston in the last three years. Don't tell me climate change isn't real. Don't tell me climate change isn't already with us. Uh, other news. On other news. Yeah, and I had, you know, how many times have we heard Donald Trump say, I, there was nothing at all to do. There's nothing to this whole Russian story. It is a total witch hunt. It is manufactured by the Democrats who still can't accept the fact that Hillary Clinton lost. There's nothing to it. James Comey should have dropped the, dropped the investigation. Robert Mueller should drop the investigation. We ought to fire Robert Mueller. We ought to end this because there were no context at all Donald Trump is trying to tell us between my organization, the people around me, and anybody at all in Russia. Well, now we know, <laughs> we've known for quite a while, that's just a whole lie. I mean, this is nonsense because think about the people. Uh, we had Michael Flynn, all of those meetings. We had uh, Roger, um, uh, Roger Stone setting up meetings. We had campaign manager Paul Manafort, Carter Page running over to Russia and holding meetings. Uh, we have Jared Kushner sitting in on these meetings with the Russian ambassador. Uh, so all, there were all kinds of contacts that we have heard about. Oh, I almost forgot Jeff Sessions involved in some of those meetings with the Russian ambassador. And yes, they were talking sanctions. And yes, they were talking campaign strategy. Well, now guess what? There is one more big um, uh, evidence, evidence of one more big exchange between Donald Trump's people and the Kremlin. And this reported by Bloomberg, picked up by the New York Times and Washington Post, not denied by the White House, where up until starting in September 2015, get this, September 2015 to January 2016, January 2016 is in the middle of the presidential campaign. Michael Cohen, in January 2016, Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's lawyer, sends an email to this top official in the Kremlin. By the way, this all came out in private testimony, closed-door testimony, to the Senate Intelligence Committee, and somehow it leaked out to the media. I hope there are tapes. Yeah, well, there are tapes. Uh, Anyhow, Michael Cohen, uh, working with a businessman by the name of Felix Sater, who is a Russian-American businessman, but Michael Cohen sends an email to a top Kremlin official saying, we need help with our Moscow Hotel that they've been working on again since September 15, 2015 through January 2016. Uh, our, our plans seem to be stalled. We need Vladimir Putin himself to say something really good about our Trump hotel that we want to build, our Trump Tower we want to build in Moscow. So when Donald Trump says he had nothing to do with Moscow, he, was, again, was just lying. They were trying to get this Trump Tower going. They'd been working on it for uh, over a year. It gets stalled. They reach out to Vladimir Putin himself to try to get some assistance, some public support for this project. And this is the very time that Donald Trump is going around saying, what a great guy 
Vladimir Putin is. What a strong leader Vladimir Putin is. And now we know why. He was sucking up to Vladimir Putin, so Vladimir Putin would support his hotel and they could get this hotel built in Moscow. And again, no no connections at all with Russians, and you know damn well, and and I'm let's hope that Robert Mueller can 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 put these pieces together. You know damn well that number one, Donald Trump knew about it. In fact, Michael Cohen says that he discussed this project with Donald Trump at least three times. So Donald Trump himself, campaigning for president, knows what's going on, trying to build this hotel in Moscow, getting Putin's help, and uh, Donald Trump, and, and, and reaching out to Putin for his help. Donald Trump knew all about it, and you also knew that that led, I believe, clear, clearly, that that led to helping Russia in their efforts to uh, influence the American election and get Donald Trump, not Hillary Clinton, elected. In fact, Felix Sater, uh, and this is this is very interesting. Sater himself, uh, this uh, Russian American businessman who was working on this project for Donald Trump with Michael Cohen. Donald Trump's attorney. Uh, this is what Felix Sater said. Here's what this hotel was all about. Okay, Felix Sater boasted about his ties to Putin, and he says this is why this project is important. Quote. Listen to this. Quote. Our boy can become president of the USA, and we can engineer it. I will get all of Putin's team to buy in on this. I will manage this process for you, uh, says Felix Sater again in an email, that email I just read to uh, Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's attorney. Our boy can become president of the USA, and we can engineer it. By the way, this... uh, Boy, case closed as far as I'm concerned. There it is. You want a smoking gun? Here's a smoking gun. Right here. Yes. Was there collusion? Damn straight. Were there connections? Damn straight. Were there meetings? Absolutely. Were they working with the Pentagon, with the with the Kremlin? There's the evidence. By the way, this project began or was proposed back in September of 2015. You mentioned yeah. the meeting happened in January of 2016. The Washington Post put together a fantastic timeline of all of Trump's media hits. Mm. Talking about Vladimir Putin in between September and January, September 2015, January 2016. Perhaps one of the most notable ones, we don't have the audio handy, but this is worth remembering. When Trump goes on Morning Joe, December 18th, 2015, Mika asks him, do you like Putin's comments about you? He says, sure. When people call you brilliant, it's always good, especially when the person heads up Russia. (laughs) Then they ask about Putin killing journalists and political opponents. Uh, Joe Scarborough says that's a concern to you, right? He's Trump replies, quote, he's running his country and at least he's a leader, you know, unlike what we have in this country, referring to Obama. Yeah. He says when when Scarborough mentions that that he kills journalists that don't agree with him, Trump says, quote, I think our country does plenty of killing also, Joe. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, it's a big fluff job on Vladimir Putin. I mean, he's he's right. praised him many Putin's times a in better, the past. Putin's a better leader than Barack Obama, and if he's killing journalists, so what? At least he's a strong leader. Right. Yeah. There there you go, Donald Trump. And now we know why Donald Trump was saying all those nice things about Vladimir Putin, because they were trying to get Putin to endorse and support and embrace his Moscow hotel. 
Oh, my God. Another big change uh, yesterday, uh, you know, Donald Trump out to reverse everything that Barack Obama has done. And there are the in the area of police community relations. Uh, and we talked about this throughout the uh, eight years of uh, President Obama's presidency. I wrote about it in my book, Buyer's Remorse, that uh, race relations and police community relations is one thing where President Obama was very slow to pick up the torch very slow to address that issue at all. But once he did, he did two really, really important things and two really uh, good things. Number one, he told police departments, uh, you've got to um, review all of your uh, policies on race relations and on community relations. Uh, And it's important to get together with the leaders of the community and come up with a new set of guidelines, particularly for uh, the way police were um, dealing with minorities, people of color, particularly young black men. Um, and that, is, that, that happened up in, uh, in Chicago, in Baltimore, city after city after city responded to that. They came up with new plans, new policies. It, it was really addressing a, an, an issue that had been festering for a long time uh, and was a welcome relief and a change in these communities. Uh, and more cities were in the process of adopting uh, these new policies and new guidelines, number one. Number two, uh, the Obama administration said, when we saw what happened after Ferguson, when suddenly there were these military, this military equipment rolling in that we hadn't seen except you know, in, on the front lines of war in Iraq and in Afghanistan, rolling in the streets of Ferguson, and everybody was saying, holy, where'd that come, st- stuff come from? And we found out that police departments around the country were buying surplus military equipment from the Pentagon, making these cities look like an armed camp. Way, way uh, too much show of military force for a local police department. Uh, And the Obama administration said, from now on, the Pentagon, you can sell it some other country maybe, but you don't sell this to local police forces uh, in this country. Yesterday, uh, so a few months ago, a couple of months ago, Jeff Sessions reversed the first action uh, by President Obama and told police departments, if you're now dealing with uh, issues of uh, police community relations, just stop it. You don't have to do it anymore. Just pull the plug. It's not important anymore. And those cities that have already adopted new policies, if you want to, you can just throw them away. Just abandon them. You don't have to follow them at all. Just go back to the way you always used to do things. And yesterday... The second policy they reversed, Jeff Sessions announcing in a speech down in Atlanta that from now on they have told the Pentagon, yep, you can sell all your, I don't know, tanks, bombers, cannons, or whatever else you've got left over, sell them to local police departments because that's what we want local police departments to look like. Here's Jeff Sessions. He is rescinding restrictions from the prior administration that limited your agency's ability to get equipment through federal programs, including life-saving gear. Oh, yeah. Of course, the cops are applauding that, right? Police chiefs mainly there were, yeah, applauding that. That's what they want. They want this massive show of force, which does nothing more than fuel tension, further fuel tensions that already exist in so many cities between police forces and the people in those communities. Uh, Jeff Sessions again saying those prior restrictions, they just like putting handcuffs on the cops. These restrictions that had been opposed went too far. 
We will not put superficial concerns above public safety. We will do our best to get you what you need. And all they are doing is asking for more trouble, more riots. Uh, you know, the next time it happens, uh, we're just going to see Ferguson and Baltimore uh, all over again. Well, you know, I think one thing that needs to be kept in mind here with what Jeff Sessions is doing, you know, he thinks he's saving money with some of the things that he's doing by rolling back some of these Obama era regulations or rules. And well, number one, it, they're not saving money. They're not saving money. That's but, that's but, a great example. But number of it. two, you know, they're, they're they're ignoring what is a real real problem in this country. But but more more importantly, they are gearing up to spend more money on the quote unquote war on drugs. And not only not all drugs. I mean, the opioid crisis is is a big problem in this country, and I, I, definitely we should be spending money on that. But Jeff Sessions is going to go after marijuana in in all fifty states. So you know, be prepared for that. That's what he wants to spend money on. So, one other item we talked about yesterday. It came up again. Uh, came up again yesterday afternoon uh, with uh, Donald Trump in the news conference he had with the president of pardon me of Finland where he was asked about Joe Arpaio. Uh, Donald Trump, very upfront about why he issued, he pardoned uh, Joe Arpaio on Friday evening, the classic time for the news dump, of course, uh, right after the uh, network news on Friday evening. If you have any bad news you want to put out, that's when you put it out. Uh, it uh, It was suggested, of course, and I think correctly, that Donald Trump did it on Friday evening because he knew that uh, the pardon of Arpaio would get less attention because everybody was paying attention to what was happening in Texas when Hurricane Harvey actually hit land for the first time. Donald Trump says, no, it was just the opposite. In the middle of a hurricane, even though it was a Friday evening, I assume the ratings would be far higher than they would be normally. You know, the hurricane was just starting. Oh, yeah, right. Mm Mm-hmm. He put it out there because he wanted to get the highest ratings possible. We said this yesterday. It's it's the reality show format. Yeah, every single time with him. But the I, first of all, I think he, I do again. I think he has it backwards. He was still trying to bury it, and in fact, that is what happened. Most right. of the attention was on Harvey, not on Joe uh, Arpaio. Uh, but the the idea that he would even think that way, that that would be a consideration of TV ratings, that's Donald Trump's entire freaking life is when can he get the most ratings? Remember what he said about Sean Spicer? I could never fire him because he gets such good ratings uh, in the afternoon. That's what it's all about. He's not a president. He's a TV producer. Uh, But uh, Trump went on to praise Arpaio. What a great, great, great American he is. Oh, yeah, he may be a racist. He may be a lawbreaker. He may have violated the Constitution. But, oh, he's a great American, says Donald Trump. He's done a great job for the people of Arizona. He's very strong on borders, very strong on illegal immigration. He is loved in Arizona. Oh, yeah. That's why he lost. No. Uh, that's why he lost his bid for reelection uh, on uh, last, last November 8th, right? Because he's so loved uh, in Arizona. No, he's despised in Arizona by many people. Half of Arizonans surveyed over the weekend believe that Trump should not have announced a pardon for Joe Arpaio. Half yeah. of Arizonans. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, a move that was condemned by both of our Arizona senators, Jeff Flake and John McCain. Uh, and then Donald Trump tries to justify his pardon of Joe Arpaio by comparing it to Barack Obama's pardon, no, commuting of the, of the sentence of Chelsea Manning, Donald Trump. 
President Obama commuted the sentence of Chelsea Manning, who leaked countless sensitive and classified documents to WikiLeaks, perhaps and others. But horrible, horrible thing that he did. Uh, yeah, well, there's only there's one big difference, right? Uh, first of all, President Obama didn't pardon Chelsea Manning. Uh, although I think there's still a lot of question about how much damage actually to our national security Chelsea Manning did. I believe the answer is zero. But again, the difference is President Obama did not pardon Chelsea Manning. He commuted the sentence of Chelsea Manning after she had served seven years in prison. Donald Trump pardoned Joe Arpaio before he was even sentenced, found guilty and remember, found guilty of outright racism, outright discrimination, outright refusal to obey a judge's order. Donald Trump pardoned Joe Arpaio before sentencing, which means he will never spend one day in prison. Total apples and oranges, Donald Trump trying to get away with yesterday. Uh, guess what, Donald? Doesn't work. Whoa. So much to talk about. And what is the latest as we face uh, coming up to the big question about uh, the debt ceiling, whether we're going to raise the debt ceiling, uh, whether we're going to shut down the government? You know that Planned Parenthood is going to be front and center. Kelly Robinson, the National Organizing Director for Planned Parenthood for America, joins us next to tell us uh, what's going on with that great organization. Stay tuned. Mr. Trump, would you consider Russia as a security threat? Thank you. Well, I consider many countries as a security threat. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. What do you say on a Tuesday, August 29? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today again. Thank you so much for joining us as we'll come to you live coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On Free Speech TV, coast to coast as well, and out in the Chicago area on the great WCPT. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio right here on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, the one and only Leo Girard, great labor leader uh, and a great fighter for working families in this country. United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Check out their good work at their website, usw.org. Rounding up uh, the big stories of the day there in our first uh, half hour from the latest on Donald Trump's defense of his pardon of Joe Arpaio to the news of this shady uh, hotel deal in Moscow, which uh, the White House or Donald Trump has been hiding until it was uh, released or reported yesterday by Bloomberg News. Uh, Jamie, response? Hey, we got a poll out on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, Ray put this one together. She says, when should... Donald Trump visit Texas. Uh, a couple oh. of options for you: ASAP and twice. Wait at least a week, 
or when Governor or FEMA says so. So already uh, some of you weighing in, 77% so far saying it's up to the governor and FEMA. Some comments on Twitter, Lee Draxton uh, answering directly to this poll. Never, you should never visit Trump because he'll say something terrible. Most people just want him to resign and hermit himself away to Trump Tower and never be heard from again. Plus, some reaction to Jeff Sessions and the militarization of police. CSD Pagan, our friend CSD Pagan, says Sessions is a traitor like Trump. Guantanamo Brig has plenty of room for the whole gang. <laughs> I don't know if we'll go that far, but you know. we're on Twitter at BP Show. All right. Thank you for your comments. Keep them coming always on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, yes, the, it is said of uh, Hurricane Harvey, we have never seen a storm like this before in American history. Uh, there are some saying we will never see a volunteer organization resistance protest movement like the one that Planned Parenthood has planned before. Kelly Robinson is the National Organizing Director of Planned Parenthood for America who joins us in studio. Hey, Kelly, good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. Thanks so much for coming in. So, um, wait, I don't have a microphone for you. Um, what's going on here? Yeah, right? We... Okay. Always fun when we have Thank technical you. difficulties. Uh, technical difficulties, right. We're on a skeleton crew this morning. What do you expect? No, I know. I suddenly looked at you and I thought, there's something missing, right? <laughs> All right, there uh, we go. There we go. All right. Good morning again. Oh, good morning, All Bill. Right. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Yeah. I, uh, so, Kelly, what, if, first of all, is... Are the Republicans in Congress ever going to accept the fact that Planned Parenthood is a great organization that provides great health care to millions of American women and they ought to just stay the hell out of it? <laughs> Look, we're working every day to make sure that that message is clear to them. As they're at home right now for August recess, we've had folks show up at every rally they've had, every town hall they've had, making calls every single day. And these are volunteers that are doing it. Um, not because they love a pink T-shirt, but because access to Planned Parenthood health centers matters so deeply to folks in every, in just about every district around this country. Uh, so that's really why people are showing up and speaking out right now. How many clinics are we talking about and how many states? Oh, geez, we have over 500 clinics um, in, ooh, I'd have to get get Bill, uh, my colleague, to tell me just how many states, but just about every state just is covered Just about every by state, us. right? Yeah, yeah, and I think the interesting thing, too, 500 that a lot of people clinics? don't know, over 500 But the thing that a lot of people don't know is how many of our (laughs) clinics serve rural areas or other medically underserved areas in the country. Nearly half of our clinics are in places like that where there's not anywhere else to go. Planned Parenthood isn't just your reproductive health care provider. We are the provider in a lot of these areas. Right. Uh, Women who would have to travel miles and miles and miles to get health care were it not for a Planned Parenthood clinic or that happens to be there. And what kind of services? That's the other question is, all right? Everybody says, well, these are just abortion mills. The most truth, of our services, the truth is, yeah, most of our services are preventative care services. We do birth control. We do STD <clears throat> testing, well women exams. I mean, these are all the services that people need, women need, especially day to day that we provide um, that are critical to maintaining the health of any community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw recently, um, I forget now where, but it was a very compelling s- story. It's a little film that I saw about um, the dangers of women going to these clinics uh, in some communities, right? I mean, 
uh, it's really frightening because of protesters, go, right? Because of because protesters, of angry protesters, that's protesters what I mean. and yeah. oh, folks because that of confront protesters. protesters outside. Yeah, yeah. Who are I mean, always there. It's sad. Know? I mean, when you go to the dentist's office, you don't have people protesting your ability to get your tonsils removed or to get your cavity filled. Um, when you're thinking about healthcare. It is one of the most vulnerable times in your life when you're going to a doctor, right? You're going there for trusted medical care to get non-judgmental care. And to have people outside of those clinic doors holding signs, telling, just saying nasty things, uh, it is, it is especially for a community of folks that say that they're pro-life and that they care about people and humanity, it tears me apart to see what they do to our patients at times. So I'm, I'm just glad to know that we've got other volunteers in the areas. Many folks are serving as clinic escorts who are actually walking folks from their car door into a health plan yeah, health right. center mm-hmm. to give them that safe and protected environment because they know at the end of the day when they come to Planned Parenthood, they're coming to a space of love and of care, and we're going to be there for them even though they may have to go through some of those uh, more tenuous situations on the way in. So we always get into the issue of funding. Um, what percentage of Planned Parenthood's funding is fe- or federal dollars anyhow? Do you know? Well, what I can say is you know, nearly half of our patients are using Medicaid services to access Planned Parenthood. What that means is not that we're getting a blank check from right. the federal that, government. Yeah, that's not a grant right. from the federal no, government. No, no, no. It's no. a reimbursement for services provided. Right. So if you come in and get just an like STD any screening, other doctor's office, just like any other healthcare provider, you come in for an STD screening, we're going to get a check that reimburses us for those costs. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it allows us to provide free and low cost services to the, all the communities that need it most. So when folks talk about defunding Planned Parenthood, quote unquote, quote defunding. Funding Planned Parenthood, what they're talking about is taking away health care access to the 2.5 million women that come to us each year. And that's really the bottom line of it. Because federal law today, uh, I don't agree with it, but federal law today does pro- prohibit any, fe- any federal dollars to be spent for any uh, abortion service, correct? That's correct. That is correct. The Hyde Amendment does do that. Yeah. And although we, we live in the world as it is, right, we follow that, that law to a T, we're also fighting for a different world, right, where uh, the amount of money that you have in your pocket doesn't determine what kind of access to health care you get. Right. Now, you are organizing uh, a big movement, right, to a uh, grassroots movement. Uh, to support Planned Parenthood or exactly what is what, yeah. what's I mean, the, I think that grassroots movement is organizing me, to be honest <laughs> with you. Well, you know what? That's, that, that is the truth about so many things going on, just like starting with the Women's March, right, right. in January. Right, right. This grassroots has been it's alive more than I've ever seen it. That's right. I mean, folks know ever since, you know, November 9th, folks have known that something is askew in our country. I mean, right after the election, we had folks come to our health centers. Uh, we had a 900 percent increase in folks asking for IUDs at our health centers. Uh, and I think what that is Ooh, indicative of whoa. is folks knew that there were going to be threats to their ability to access basic things like birth control. They also knew that there was a way for them to take their power back. So we saw folks, we've seen folks rising up in every community across this country saying enough, saying no. Coming against Planned Parenthood is taking this too far. Uh, The Women's March is such a great example of that, a grassroots organic movement of folks that said we have to do something. Mm -hmm. And that Women's March here, which was copied and, you know, copied similar marches, sister marches, if you will, all over the country. All over the world. All over the world. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, but this movement, the particular movement around Planned Parenthood that you're organizing, 
building volunteer armies around some 600 clinics? <laughs> That's when, right. when does all of this start, and what what are the plans? Yeah, well, we're we're in the middle of our story, I would say, about now. I mean, we haven't been around for 100 years as, as an organization without doing some organizing. Yeah. But over the last year, we have – it's been so clear that it's time for us to go back to basics of making sure that our grassroots supporters have the tools and resources they need to take the actions in their communities that can really make a difference. So we've done a big and increased investment in training that top tier of leaders. Since the election, we've had um, 200,000 folks not just raise their hand and say they want to volunteer. 200,000 folks have showed up in person to say, I'm going to be here to protect Planned Parenthood. Wow. Yeah. So we're training that top tier of them, the ones that have shown up consistently, the ones that can help us build this movement even further over the next few months in a series of grassroots organizing and leadership uh, summits across the country. And what, are their, what is their role? What is their mission? What are their jobs? That to, but I mean, first of all, 200,000, how does that compare with volunteers, the number of volunteers you've had before? I mean, you this... know, the interesting thing is every time we have an attack against Planned Parenthood from, you know, I started in the organization about six years ago, so I remember the first uh, Pence fight against defunding, folks show up and they say, we're not going to stand for this. And every time we have grown stronger as an organization. But this fight that we're in right now is kind of grassroots momentum. I mean, folks are showing up in ways that are more brave than we would have ever anticipated. So our job right now with by training a thousand volunteers this summer is to mm-hmm. make sure that our very top level of leadership has the skills they need to help us embrace that 200, the other 199,000. Because we know with our grassroots organizing staff across the country, it's not enough. We've got to continue to build the ranks of organizing to be able to embrace the folks that are raising their hands and wanting to get Now, in. again, just to be clear, these are not Planned Parenthood staffers, right? No, these, these are, are volunteers, volunteers who right. are there to to support Planned Parenthood. Yeah, they sure are. Volunteers. Yeah, right. <laughs> Showing up because they care about it. Okay. And again, so what are you asking them to do? Are these the people who will show up and escort people into the clinics or uh, – Yeah. You know, what, what 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 do you have in mind? Or big marches? Or what can, what can <laughs> we expect to see? All of the above. All of the okay. above. Some of yeah. them are, you know, folks that come out of our clinic escort program. Uh, some of them are from our youth programs, our Planned Parent Generation Action campus-based programs. But most of them are actually new people that have gotten engaged since the election and are looking to deepen their skills. But what we're asking them to do is go home and start teams, local Planned Parenthood action teams in their areas. And what these teams' job is is to make sure that no matter what the attack is against Planned Parenthood and against people's access to health care, that they're showing up. Because we know that we are going to continue to face attacks from the federal government, that at the state level there are myriad attacks that are coming not only against our organization but people's ability to access health care, period. We've got to make sure that everywhere across this country that there's a group of folks, um, just like we have health centers where folks need them, we got to have groups of folks that are organizing where we need them, too. So these people are going home to create those little action teams to be sure to be uh, Planned Parenthood defenders in every area of the country. Uh, And does everybody get a pink (laughs) T-shirt? That's our goal. We like to make sure you 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 can show off that T-shirt. I love that. I need a Planned Parenthood T-shirt. I have a Planned Parenthood T-shirt on here. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, you you notice that right away. Right. (laughs) What kind of support are you guys seeing from elected officials across the country? What what politicians in particular are voicing their support for a campaign like this? 
you know, it's happening at all different levels. I have to tell you that. We've had, we sent out a mayor's letter where we had over 100 mayors sign on in support of Planned Parenthood, saying that they stand with our organization, which was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some folks at the local level do city resolutions um, about having safer communities where everyone work to stand with Planned Parenthood, but also to ensure that, you know, no person is experiencing bias in their communities. Um, but really, I mean, the champions of it all have been the two senators that stood beside us to make sure that this bill was defeated, that Trump care was defeated in the federal government. That's Senator Lisa Murkowski and Senator Susan Collins. And they were two of the senators that were the, the most bold we've ever seen. And they said Planned Parenthood is a non-starter for us uh, from the start. And we saw them stay firm in their position to really defeat uh, this piece of legislation. Yeah, absolutely. Kudos to them. Give, give, give credit where credit is due. That's right. You know that um, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump would have succeeded without those two brave women. That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, they, they, they led the charge there in the Senate. We're able to get a couple of other Republicans uh, to go along to go along with them. What what would be the the impact on women's health care in this country if Obamacare were repealed? It would be, and I'm not taking this lightly, but it would be a national health care disaster. I mean, if you look at the coverage of Planned Parenthood and the areas that we serve, the Planned Parenthood Health Center serve that have no other provider, you're looking at whole pockets of the country fundamentally losing access to health care in a really real way. We serve 2.5 million people annually. That's a good that's a good number mm. of folks. Those are the folks who are at risk of losing care. And I mean, for me, I've, I've seen the numbers. I've seen it time and time again. But it's when I'm on the ground and I hear these stories of what it means, it becomes so visceral and so real. Uh, I was just out in Arizona um, last month and I was talking with some supporters. And <laughs> there were four women in this group that had had breast cancer detected at Planned Parenthood that wouldn't have known mm. otherwise. They had life-saving care at our health centers. So for me, especially as a woman of color, I'm talking about people's lives being at stake if we don't protect access to health care and access to Planned Parenthood. Right. Uh, and if that goes away, as you say, millions of, of, of women, two and a half million annually. Right? That's right. Yep. But, um, what, what, to what extent, you mentioned you being a person of color. I was going to ask you, to what extent um, do the clinics serve people of color? Sure, nearly a large percentage yeah, of the population. Yeah, yeah, just over I would imagine, half huh? of the folks that we serve come from communities of color. Um, most of the folks that we serve also use Medicaid or low-income folks. Um, we're really making sure that we're there for folks, no matter what your zip code is, no matter how much money that you have. Planned Parenthood health centers are there to give the kind of quality care that everyone really deserves access to. Where, where's most of the funding come for Planned Parenthood? I mean, building these clinics, managing these clinics. It's a you know, this expensive proposition. Absolutely. I mean, we have a number of different funding sources that, that come in to support our organization. But I think the thing that really matters is when we're talking about this federal fight, particularly around Trump care, is that the services that we offer to low-income folks are reimbursed through the federal government, right? So being able to provide free STI screenings happens because we can get that reimbursement from the federal government. Mm-hmm. Without that, the ability to offer free and low-cost care really does dwindle and impact our ability to fulfill, f- to fulfill our mission and ultimately our ability to make sure that folks have access no matter what. Right. So that's really what's so important to know here is that 
Planned Parenthood existing as it is today, right? Being able to be in every community that needs us, being able to offer care for folks that don't have the resources. It happens because we're able to get some of that work reimbursed. Uh, we hope to continue being able to do that, and that's really what's at stake. Okay, so you're the national organizing director, right? That's right. Okay. I'm living my dream, Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you're good at it, I'm sure. Uh, and you're going to, so you're, you're, the big, this big training session for these thousand top levels is yeah. coming up? It's when? coming up. It's uh, next week. Next week we kick off in Arizona and North Carolina. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah okay. Now, I'm sure people watching and listening who would love to be part of this uh, effort, maybe not part of that top 1,000, You've already, I'm sure you've already picked them, but part of your army of volunteers that you're putting together, can they still sign up? How do they do so? Oh, absolutely. They can go ahead and visit istandwithpp.org slash act. Um, if they go to that website, they can sign up as a supporter. They can even sign up to be a defender. And our defender program is really the I stand with PP. Dot org. Dot org. Slash uh, act. Okay. I stand got, with PP dot org. Slash you got that, Jamie? We're going to tweet it out. We'll tweet it At out. At BP oh, show. Right. Okay, good. Great. Uh, and so, I'm sorry, you were saying. What, yeah, they can sign they, up to be a supporter there, but even better, they can sign up to be a Planned Parenthood defender. And our defenders program are people that are committing to take action regularly with the organization. So for those folks, even if they're not going to come to our thousand person or thousand yeah, person yeah. in person trainings, we're going to do a series of online trainings where folks can learn to organize. And I, I do want to demystify organizing a little bit. All that is is identifying challenges that are in your community and then taking meaningful actions to make a difference. But there's so many skills around that that we've learned from the civil rights movement, from the feminist movement, uh, from you know the immigrant immigration work that's been going on. That we've actually we're actually able to teach people how to do that most effectively, pulling on those lessons learned. So all of our organizing trainings are going to be about that: how to give folks a tool to take tools to take meaningful actions that could and will make a difference in their lives. No, that's so important, and it's so important. And you're right. I mean. We can learn from all of those movements, you know, how mistakes they've made and, and successes yeah. that they've had uh, and and uh, and apply those lessons today. Absolutely. Across, uh, across the country. It's very, very exciting. I love this idea of defenders. Um, it's, it's a great it's a great term. Yeah. See, you might, I have another question for you. So the majority of Republicans have been opponents of uh, Planned, per Planned Parenthood for quite a long time. Well, majority of Republicans in Congress. In I Congress, think. sure, I'm sure. I'm not yeah. sure about Republicans. Don't know how the voters general, necessarily feel, right? right? Yeah. Uh, but what's different now in 2017? I think I know the answer. I think it might be one man uh, sitting in the most powerful office in this country. But explain what's different now. What? What? I mean, why is this energy so so great? Yeah, well, I do want to say about just Republicans at large, we've had the support of Republicans from throughout our history as Planned Parenthood. We've even had some champions across the board at the state and national level. I think what we're seeing in Congress right now and um, in the House down the street are some extremists that are in office right now that are just bent on attacking Planned Parenthood no matter what. I mean, you've got Vice President Mike Pence, who throughout his oh, whole yeah. career no, has said, I'm obsessed with trying to defund Planned Parenthood. I'm obsessed with trying to get rid of Planned Parenthood. That's what Mike Pence has said. So for us, it's really about making sure that we're giving every American, every person in this country the, the chance to stand up and make sure that it's clear that we will not stand for attacks against Planned Parenthood, no matter what some of these folks in office are believing right now. Um, I think that's a shift that we're seeing, that we have a couple of extremists that are in office that we've got to really make a point clear to them. Yeah. Well, Mike I mean, Pence calls his wife mother, so, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a low bar for him. 
No, you've got yeah, no, you've got a, a true believer mm-hmm. in Mike Pence, right? Alongside of a man who doesn't believe in anything. With, with Donald Trump, who will do anything that Mike Pence wants, right? You know, and so well he believes so, in one thing and, one day, and then another thing the next day. Yeah, he believes in himself all the time. But uh, I mean, I think in this area and in many other areas, Donald Trump has proven to be the best organizer that we've ever for our, our side, right? <laughs> for progressives that we've ever seen, because people are really they're pissed off and they're worried, and and yeah. they, and they want to they want to do something. They're looking for ways to. You know, to 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 resist, yeah, fight back. yeah, uh, and this is a great way to do so. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think there's a realization that folks are coming to, right? That the <laughs> things that we believe in, we actually we have to fight for day in and day out. I think before the election happened, folks said, you know, they won't do this, they won't do that, but (laughs) we better believe them now because things are coming into effect that we never believed possible, right? Attacks on uh, folks of color, attacks on issues like Planned Parenthood. Um, So I think that folks are aware and awake in a way that they've never been before. Um, So I'm also excited to see what comes next, not just over the next few months, but over the next few years, because I really believe that the movement that has started in this moment is not one that's going to exhaust anytime Mm -hmm. soon. It didn't end with the Women's March like everyone thought it would. Um, It is building momentum and steam through our organization, through new groups like Indivisible that are are coming up, new programs like ACLU's program. And I think with all of these efforts combined, we really do stand an opportunity to shift the dynamics of power in this country. And that, to me, you know, as an organizer, I get excited about that. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm so glad you came in today because we've been trying to focus uh, since November 9, right, on ways that people can can fight back, right, can step up, can be part of this movement, can be part of the resistance. And this is one very, very real way for to help one great, great organization that's providing uh, such a great service to so many millions of, of, of Americans. So thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. And we, again, encourage you to check it out. I stand with pp.org slash act. That's right. right? Uh, and you will get to be part of the great movement here led by Kelly Robinson and, of course, the one and only Cecile Richards, right? That's right. Thanks, Kelly. Great Thank to you see so you. much, Bill. Appreciate it. Kate Martell joins us this from the Hill coming up the next. Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, watch out, Texas. You thought Hurricane Harvey was bad? Well, uh, Hurricane Donald is heading your way today. Uh, And he says he might even come back. Two visits to Texas. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you on this Tuesday, August 29. Uh, It is the Bill Press Show. That's me. Uh, Good to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in this great land of ours. We are there with you, alongside of you, in your ear, in your face, to bring you up to date on all the news of the day. 
Weather is coming from uh, Houston, where the rains continue or are expected to continue through Thursday evening. No relief, and uh, Hurricane Harvey, which seemed to have kind of gone away for a couple of hours, uh, they're now saying it is coming back to uh, for a second blow at the Houston uh, area. Keep you up to date on that, as well as the news here from Washington, D.C., and to help us through the news of the day for the next hour, Kate Martell joins us from The Hill, author of The Hill, thehill.com, The Hill's 1230 report. Hello, Kate. Good to see you. Good morning, Bill. Congratulations again. I, I tell you every time I see you, and I tell all your colleagues at The Hill how much I enjoy the 1230 report every day. So. It's excellent. It is. I really use it is. every day, putting together the show Thanks, for the guys. next day. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's fun to write because I, they actually let me. Sometimes I get edits through that I don't know how they, my dumb jokes make it through. But <laughs> uh-huh. they you got keep a lot of you like puns, don't you, Kate? I love no, puns, no, no, no. It TV. is. It's, <laughs> it's very newsy, very informative. It's also uh, has a nice, uh, a, a nice light uh, kind of sense of humor to it that that helps. That is very needed. Helps in swallow these dark, some of the, dark times. Exactly. Helps swallow some of the bad news we have to deal with. And we'll get into all of that news with Kate Martell and with all of you. Don't forget, we always love to hear from you, your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Tuesday morning. A lot of talk about how to help the flood victims in Houston, the victims of Hurricane Harvey, a couple of companies and sports teams stepping up. We begin with Anheuser-Busch. Big beer company. Uh-huh. Now there's a way to help. They're doing something pretty creative here. Uh, they have halted beer production at their Cartersville, Georgia factory, and instead of producing beer, they will be producing drinking water in cans. So they're canning drinking water, clean drinking water, to send to Houston. The water should arrive in Arlington, Texas, today. Fifty thousand cans of water distributed by Anheuser Busch have already arrived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Considering. The rain is expected to go that way east today. Uh, as far as the sports world goes, uh, the owner of the By Houston the way, that's Rockets. A very, that's a I think it's really creative. Great. Yeah. Very creative. Yeah. yeah. And a very and, nice thing to and do. And Baton Rouge and New Orleans are going to be the next stories we talk about. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the owner of the Houston Rockets is contributing $4 million to help victims of Harvey. The owner of the Houston Texans has pledged a million dollars, and the Texans were scheduled to play a preseason game against the Cowboys in Houston on Thursday. That game has been moved to Arlington, Texas, mm. where the Cowboys play. So uh, that should be an emotional game there on Thursday night. Uh, Bill, I have an update on the driverless car beat. This oh, is God. an exciting one. Because it's all right. I'll still never get in one. But you sure? <laughs> I, we're going to find a way to get you in a driverless car. Uh, starting on Wednesday... Some pizzas in Domino's hometown of Ann Arbor, Michigan, will be delivered via a driverless car. A Ford Fusion, of course, Ford uh, based there in Michigan. Uh, The Ford Fusion is outfitted with radars and a camera that's used for autonomous testing. An engineer will be at the wheel for now, an engineer from Ford. Mm -hmm. Uh, The front windows are blacked out, so it will appear (coughs) as though the car is driverless. The test is going to last about six weeks. Uh, They'll decide what to do. So the way it works, by the way, in case you're curious, uh, you go up to the vehicle, you put in a four-digit code that uh, Domino's provides you in advance, and literally the pizza is just going to be slid out. The window is going to roll down, and the pizza slides out to you, and you just pick it up. 
Uh, kind of cool, I'm not going to lie. I think this is a great combination of two things I will never do. Number one, get in a driverless car. Number two, eat Domino's pizza. On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, Donald Trump calls it an epic storm, historic storm. We've never seen anything like it. Speaking of Hurricane Harvey, he's right. Maybe he ought to add, yes, and climate change is responsible. Has he made that connection? Hello, everybody. It is a Tuesday, August 28th, 29, rather. Of course, he hasn't made that connection. It is The Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome to the program. We are joining you coast to coast everywhere in this great land of ours. We're right there right there alongside of you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on um, Free Speech TV, and in the Chicago area on WCPT, uh, the great progressive voice of Chicago. Great to have you with us on this Tuesday with lots of big stories to cover. Uh, yes, Hurricane Harvey continuing to batter the Houston area particularly. Uh, rain's expected to continue through Thursday evening, dumping as much as uh, an unprecedented 50 to 60 inches of rain in that uh, already uh, rain-swollen area. North Korea, yesterday, uh, the most dangerous missile test so far, lobbing a missile across Japan. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. I hate to think of what had happened if something had gone wrong with that missile, and it had hit Japan instead of going over Japan. Uh, news of um, another Trump-Russia connection regarding a big, massive hotel uh, and Trump Tower uh, that the Trump Organization was trying to build in Russia, even in the middle of the presidential campaign, we learned yesterday. And uh, Donald Trump has reversed another policy of the Obama administration, this one allowing the Pentagon to sell its surplus military equipment to local police departments. So much going on, so much to talk about. Kate Martell joins us from The Hill, author of The um, Hill's 1230 Report. Hello, Kate. Good to see you. Hello, Bill. Well, so Donald Trump said there were no connections at all between anybody around him and anybody in the Kremlin. Every week, it seems, we learn about a new connection, right? I mean, it started with Michael Flynn, Jeff Sessions, Paul Manafort, Roger Stone. A couple of my friends, my friends. Yeah. Jared Kushner. And now the story about this, his attorney, Michael Cohen, sending an email to the Kremlin saying in January 2016, hey, we need your help getting this Trump Tower going in Moscow. And it was right before the primaries, right at the time that Hillary Clinton, that he was in, he was um, criticizing Hillary Clinton for being, you know, being corrupt, and he's going after these things. If he had done this back in 2015, 2014, 2013, that would be a different story. But this was going on right as the primary season was kicking off. Um, yes, this is the closest connection we've seen of collusion between somebody involved with the Trump campaign, even though that Michael Cohen was didn't have a formal role in the campaign. He did serve as a surrogate. Uh, he did speak to reporters and he did help with some campaign issues that this is the closest connection we've seen between the Kremlin and the Trump campaign. That's what makes this so important. And Michael Cohen says that he discussed this whole thing at least three times with Donald Trump. So the idea that this might have been some rogue elephant, right, 
in the Trump operation who was off there doing this deal with Russia. No, 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 no. And this that was, was a detail that came out a little after this original story that all of these updates haven't necessarily come together. That's what's the biggest problem for the Trump campaign right now is that we're all wondering what's the next big story to drop, um, even if it's small little updates. Oh, well, Trump did know about this. Oh, well, Trump was briefed on this. <laughs> the fact that the, it's the drip, 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 which mm-hmm. is what we've been talking about ever since this campaign and presidency started. Right. So clearly um, the Mueller investigation, pardon me, is not a witch hunt. I mean, there's there's substance there. Whether there was collusion, we don't know yet. But there certainly were connections. There certainly were contacts. There certainly were uh, there were or there were ongoing conversations with Russian officials, um, and 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 the involvement of at least Michael Cohen, the attorney you mentioned, was working with a Russian American businessman by the name of Felix Sater, S A T E R. Who's a Russian immigrant? Russian immigrant, uh, who said that what this project is all about is this project is going to this is this going to make such big news that it's going to help Donald Trump get elected. There's no doubt about what their motivation was. And and as evidence in this email, <coughs> I read in the last hour, I want to read again, from this businessman, Felix Sater, to Michael Cohen, quote, our boy can become president of the, United, of the USA and we can engineer it. I will get all of Putin's team to buy in on this. <laughs> just, our boy. There he is. Our boy Donnie. Yeah, he could become president. It's just there's no doubt, right? I mean, boom. You want evidence? Here it is. <sighs> Sign sealed delivered, huh? <laughs> yeah. And it comes what's interesting too is so this apparently I think the story Bloomberg broke the story, but then the New York Times and the Washington Post picked it up. But this came out in testimony to the in front for the Senate Intelligence Committee staffers who were doing their initial interviews. So again, we have a major leak, but it hasn't been denied. But that tells you that this investigation for the Senate is getting pretty serious, right? It is. And then even to go back to special counsel, special counsel Robert Mueller, that this investigation may go on another 12, 14 months, even longer than that. But even in the process, we are still talking about Russia. We are still getting constant updates. Um, Yes, they're mostly from news outlets and a lot of this information is leaked, but it's showing that there is this constant drive of the investigation. There is there are these updates that keep us you know, busy and it is what is hurting ultimately the Trump campaign the most, that if we don't talk about this, we hear from Mueller in a year from now, um, that would be a totally different story. But the fact that this has been dominating our news cycle, I think, does kind of contribute to how bad this does look for the Trump administration. Yeah. yeah and the reason we keep turning back to it and talking about it is more stuff keeps coming out, right? And if, if there weren't, uh, um, if, if, if the reality were not what it is, right, I guess if there were nothing there, we would have, we would move on. But every day, and this is all new stuff. And again, none of it's been denied so far. Now they say, well, the Trump, the tower was never built, which means that's, that was the White House response yesterday. Well, the tower was never built, so there's, this is no big deal. Well, yeah, but the, the deal is they were in communications with Russia uh, at, at, at the time, the Kremlin at the time, to try to get their help, Putin himself. Uh, Jamie, yesterday, I don't know whether you have those handy again, but um, this is a very time also when Donald Trump 
is repeatedly praising Vladimir Putin uh, as a strong leader. We, we did read, this is from the Washington Post, uh, specifically the timeline from September 2015 to January 2016, and some of Donald Trump's media appearances where he certainly fluffed up Donald Trump. We read uh, one of the appearances. Vladimir Putin. Sorry, sorry yeah. fluffed up Vladimir Putin. Uh, we read one of the appearances from MSNBC's Morning Joe. Here's one from September 20th, 2015. Chuck Todd asking Trump whether he planned to meet with Putin. Trump says, I'd heard that he wanted to meet with me, and certainly I'm open to it. I would love to do it if he wants to do that. I'm not sure. I know that people have talking, but we'll see what happens. Hmm, I know that people have been talking. Yes, at that time, people had been talking about your business interests, possibly, in Moscow. Right. Uh, so that is, uh, as we keep saying, that is not going to go away. And Robert Mueller uh, and the Senate Intelligence Committee, and to a certain extent, I guess the House Intelligence Committee, continue uh, their investigations. So, Kate, how do we rate Donald Trump's handling of Hurricane Harvey so far? You have to give it to him that he's been proactive, that he was in Camp David this weekend. Optics of that don't look great, that he created this war yeah. room in Camp David and He's been tweeting a lot about this. But I think having said that, with hurricanes, it requires the certain statesmanship, the certain presidential demeanor that people need, the leadership, the authority. And that I think it's going to all come down to today. What is his demeanor when he's visiting Texas today? Um, that being said, it is still very Donald Trump that I don't think we're expecting to see a similar reaction that we saw um, to former President Obama when he was visiting the victims of Hurricane Sandy. But can he keep the politics out of this? Can he look purely statesman today? And that's kind of, I think, what's going to ultimately determine. I have an answer. Tough it's, for him to do. It's no. The answer to <laughs> yeah. that is no. <laughs> By the way, he just tweeted, leaving for Texas now, exclamation mark. Just tweeted that. Donald Trump. Exclamation point. That's not the best move. Uh, no. Oh, At oh, least there wasn't oh, a thank you this time. Well, you know, the... the I mean, I think we have seen that the federal agencies are doing everything they can. Again, give them credit for that. The state agencies, the local agencies, um, uh, and 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 to that extent, Donald Trump has made that a priority for them. So, which he should, and he's and he's done. What I find strange is that his tweets about the the Hurricane Harvey have been more about bragging about the size of the storm. But we've never seen anything like this. It's epic. It's historic. Yesterday, he was asked about it at that news conference with uh, with the uh, president of, of Finland, and that's 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 what he said again. Like, I had the biggest crowd ever at my inauguration. I've now got the biggest hurricane ever in the history of humankind. It's a long road, still pouring, still a lot of rain. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. They've, I've heard the words epic. I've heard historic. That's what it is. That's what it is. You know, what's interesting to me also is he doesn't make the connection, which many meteorologists have made. Yeah, it's epic. This is what climate change looks like. Exactly. This is this is what we're going to see, already have seen more of. This is the third 500-year storm in the last three years in Houston, right? And we're going to see more of these and bigger and worse because of climate change. And at the same time, he's a guy that's pulling us out of Paris. It just shows me that, especially with the way he tweets, he has this such formulaic way of tweeting things that it always has to have this positive spin on things. It's it's big. It's epic. It's the, the words that you were just using to describe how it's the biggest storm ever because he associates that with his presidency. I think also what I find 
kind of the most disturbing about this too is let's go back to Friday, right when we knew this was hitting. We everybody was preparing for it. That's what all the TV networks were talking about. And then we had this major Friday news dump and to try to change the conversation back over to politics that, yes, he's aware of the epic proportions this is and how they're going to need a pretty proactive response. But at the same time, he is also tweeting about the same old politics and he is trying to bring it back to um, the conversations that he wants to be talking about instead of dealing with the issue at hand necessarily. Yeah. No, uh, he was he was d- attacking Claire McCaskill, I believe, wasn't it Friday or um, in, in, in his mm-hmm. tweets? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back into the uh, into the classic Donald Trump political stuff. You know, you talk about crowns and you talk about news dumps and what was buried in yesterday's news dump. We haven't even had a chance to talk about this this morning. Bloomberg publishing a report late last night about the guy that's in charge of basically running Trump's rallies. His name is George Jihikos. I don't I'm not quite sure the pronunciation there. He's a former White House director uh, of advance. Uh, he'd organized the Arizona rally oh. as a contractor to the RNC. Now, you may remember seeing some realistic betrayals, pictures of what the crowd actually looked like in Phoenix last Tuesday night. And it, that the space that they had was not that full. And this guy, George, was the one who was in, in charge of picking the venue privately, apparently, Trump deciding late last week to let him go because he was upset about how <laughs> sparse the crowd ended up being. However, publicly, Trump will say still that he had a massive crowd. So it really just does just come down to the show for him, whether it's tweeting about a epic historic flood or the people that that he loves hearing scream and adore him, you know? Um, yeah, and and, uh, and again, let's not uh, lose sight of the fact that this was a re-election campaign rally. Right. Uh, <laughs> in the year 2017. I still have PTSD from 2016. Same here. Same here. No, come on. <laughs> He's, he formed his committee to, for re-elect the day after he was elected. Uh, and he said, I think this is the third rally so far, right? Because that's that's really what Donald Trump loves. He loves these campaign rallies, lives for them, lives just for the, you know, the glory that he gets from his adoring crowd. Um, but you mentioned, so you mentioned the news dump on Friday. Let's talk about the news dump on Friday. And it didn't all come at the same time. But one thing was uh, he signed um, a memorandum to the Pentagon saying, um, you know, that tweet uh, last month about transgender Americans not serving in the military. I mean it. Get them out. Fire them, basically. Uh, and at some at, right afterwards, everybody, including the Pentagon, seemed to think, well, this was just a tweet, right? Nothing's really going to happen. We're not going to take it seriously. What 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 what's behind this? It to me it looks like the president is trying to just double down on what he thinks as what he'll base what his base will want to see. And this is an issue that he thinks that somehow will just kind of turn it around, bring the story back to what he wants to be talking about. Now, I think that's most interesting, like you were saying, that the Pentagon was a little confused about this release and a lot of the administration necess- didn't necessarily go off and say that this is necessarily the policy. Um, yeah. I think the only, yeah. the interesting part for me I mean, is General that General Mattis, was... a, a Defense Secretary Mattis, actually, seemed to indicate, no, nothing's going to change, right? Okay, this is the president said that, but nothing's going to change. But now it will. It is. there Now, there is a, a line in this memorandum that does give um, the Pentagon a little bit of leeway there to give some freedom to decide people that are currently in the military how they can handle that. Um, 
and will they actually be kicked out of the military? So it kind of at least does put some of the power into the Pentagon's hands. And I think that the general thinking is that the Pentagon will roll with that. And that's kind of what how they'll develop the policy on this. But the fact that Donald Trump is, you know, putting out, trying to double down on this issue is trying to look like he's back in control. He's back in the power seat. Um, and it doesn't necessarily at the timing, the timing could not have been worse, like we were saying. But full, time, so. full implementation of the policy would mean that any transgender American today who's now serving in the military in uniform would be tossed out, right? Yes. And any other transgender man or woman who wanted to join would be denied that opportunity. Uh, and I don't know about pension benefits or whatever that they've accrued, whether they would still apply or not. Uh, I heard a report on NPR about this last night. Haven't had a chance to double check it. It pointed out, you know, some people, the argument is, oh, well, um, this is abnormal or something, and it's costing us so much money because all of these people are having these operations, right, uh, which is not true. Um, the whatever organization had, and it was a news organization, not some citizens or not some transgender or LGBT organization, a news organization had studied this. Um, the cost of to the Pentagon of providing th this operation, if someone chose to go through with it, was the total was five to ten million dollars a year. Period. Total. Out of a Pentagon budget, which is five hundred billion or something. I mean, it's like point zero 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 one percent, maybe military budget. So the idea that it's going to save taxpayers money is is nuts. This is pure discrimination. Yep. And I've heard that same number. That is that yeah. is accurate that compared to other line items in the budget, it is nothing compared to it's mostly about optics and is mostly about him wanting to change the way the administration and change the way that um, people think of the military and the way that the administration wants to show its power. And probably support, supported by people who would all go back to don't ask, don't tell or Beyond that, right, banning all LGBT Americans from serving in, in the military. So that policy came out. And then also the pardon of Joe Arpaio, which, again, he was asked about yesterday uh, at this little newser uh, at the White House uh, and went on to praise Joe Arpaio as a, uh, a great American. He's done a great job for the people of Arizona. He's very strong on borders, very strong on illegal immigration. He is loved in Arizona. Loved in Arizona. Yeah. Didn't win re-election last time because the majority <laughs> of people in this district did not want him to be their sheriff any longer. Uh, Great. Feels like a strong word. Yeah. <laughs> what's the, uh, so what's the message Donald Trump is sending? He's sending the message that the immigration is, you know, his top priority and that he is trying to, you know, push the border wall through, push illegal immigration as an issue to the forefront that he is trying to be as strong as possible on this, um, whether it has, you know, good ramifications or negative ramifications overall. And he's also, I mean, there, there's a message here uh, maybe to Paul Manafort or uh, Roger Stone or Jared Kushner or Michael Flynn, who could be um, found guilty of um, whatever, collusion with the Russians, right? And Trump did ask about that. He was asking, how does the presidential pardon work within the Russia 
investigation. That was a news story a few months ago. So right. this is very much top of mind for him. Yeah. So sort of a, maybe a message to them. Hey, don't worry. Right. It's an interesting point. Uh, I can just swoop right in with a pardon and take care of you. Yeah. Right. Before you're even sentenced, I can swoop in with a pardon. I took care of Joe Arpaio. I'll take care. Don't of sweat it. Don't even go through the legal process as every other American does. I'll just uh, wipe it off the board. Right. Uh, and and as several people pointed out too. So here is the president, who is invoking his constitutional power, using which he has to pardon anybody. It's a very very broad, probably I think too broad for any president, Democrat or Republican. But they've got it. So he is exercising that to pardon somebody who violated the Constitution, who refused to carry out a judge's order, where the judge said, no, what you're doing is pure, outright discrimination against Latinos. You cannot just stop people because they happen to have brown skin on the street and haven't committed any crime and just stop them and demand to see their papers or whatever. And Arpaio says, no, you know, that, that the judge said you've got to desist. Uh, and Arpaio says, no, I'm not going to obey that judge's order. So... Donald Trump using powers of the Constitution to pardon somebody who violates the Constitution just doesn't doesn't add up. the The response from Republicans in Congress on this was pretty interesting. The response, yes, it has been interesting. I think now looking forward, what's going to be the most interesting thing for me is now that Joe Arpaio is considering running against Jeff Flake oh, in the Senate. No. Yeah. I'm busy. That as day. bad as bad as that could end up being, Joe Arpaio ending ending up a U.S. senator. Uh, to, I told Bill this morning, it's almost like David Duke becoming a U.S. senator in my eyes. Uh, you know, I right. I would it would be very Wait. very entertaining. It would be the same, but you know what? Donald Trump would endorse him. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. He's going to endorse anybody that runs against Jeff Flake, and perhaps anybody that runs against John McCain. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Kelly Ward. Isn't she the woman who's already running against Jeff yep, Flake? She's and, currently uh, running and has tried and, in the past. And yeah, and Trump has praised her too. But Arpaio, um, we should, hey, J- Jamie, we should try to get that uh, the sound of Arpaio's endorsement of Donald Trump last year too. Oh, I thought you were seeing if uh, we could get Joe Arpaio on the program, Bill. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't want him Candid on the interview. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, <coughs> pardon me. And then. Kate, uh, the other thing that sort of slipped out in the middle of Hurricane Harvey was Sebastian Gorka. Seb okay. Gorka. What is, so uh, this, nobody really knew what his job was, uh, job was other than going on cable television, right? Which he did. So he, if, if and it was, was his so, job, he, he did it and, very and well. And Trump loved watching him. Thought he, thought he was, was just great. So was he fired or did he leave? <laughs> that is the money question there, Bill. Um, he says he wasn't fired. The White House says that he didn't, that there was no resignation. Um, somewhere in between, if he had offered his resignation, I think that would have been the story after we've seen a lot of administration, other administration uh, officials put in their letter of resignation. So it appears that there's more going on there than just simply him wanting to leave the job. Now, I think an interesting, and I saw a political report that a lot of these people who have been ousted from the White House aren't necessarily gone. Sean Spicer is still on the payroll. He is still in the White House. Ryan's Priebus is still in the White House. At least Ryan's Priebus, he has an end date of the end of August. But he has still been attending meetings in the White House. He even took a, a vacation while, you know, from his job. Um, 
It's unclear what Sean Spicer is still doing in the White House. No, but he still he shows still up. You still see him around the grounds. He doesn't have a suit and tie on all the time, but I mean, he's yeah, he's still there. So these collecting people a payroll. are. Yeah. So yes, there has been a lot of turmoil in the White House, but that doesn't necessarily mean that b- these people are gone. So same with Sebastian Gorka. It sounds like we're going to see Breitbart, you know, fired up and ready to roll. Um, I wouldn't want to be Paul Ryan right now. Um, the way that Breitbart is, you know, has but, a lot of firepower behind him. But, but how dangerous is Breitbart? Because someone like me, an outsider who does not visit Breitbart.com on the daily, I look at this as, as like a lot of bluster, a lot of talk, and no action necessarily put back. Obviously, Steve Bannon was in the White House for quite a long time. Seb Gorka was in the White House for quite a long time. Stephen Miller is still there. Julia Hahn may be there as well. But w- what could Breitbart realistically do? Uh, they're pretty powerful with the base. They're, they're, they're like, <laughs> if you can't read the Daily Stormer, you read Breitbart, or maybe they're kind of one and the same. But I mean, they, they do ex- exercise a lot of influence on the on the base, correct? Yes, they do. Um, especially looking into September with all of these funding fights coming up, that to have a Steve Bannon there and to have that's where I think that we could see um, some of the movement. But that is an excellent point, Janie, too, that that Breitbart does have its influence, but within certain circles. That it doesn't within certain have... circles. No, it's very limited, but it's very powerful in it that is. in that limited circle, and um, which does which is a, a threat to Donald Trump in a sense. I mean, if Breitbart were to turn the force of if Bannon were to turn the force of Breitbart against Trump, exactly. If Trump st- strayed too far from where Bannon thinks he ought to be, uh, that could prove a problem for Donald Trump. Right. Very well, could. But in the meantime, uh, the Democratic Party uh, showing new energy and new life under its new chair, uh, Tom Perez, who joins us here in studio for the next half hour. Kate Martell staying along with us as well. Uh, Your questions, your comments for the good chairman coming up with Tom Perez. It's a no-brainer for me to endorse him. Very easy decision, believe me. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video. Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Tuesday, August 29. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Great to be with you here. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the great men and women of the AFT under President Randy Weingarten, uh, doing the Lord's work in the classrooms, making a big difference for uh, students of America every day. Uh, We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and you can find out a lot more about uh, their great work at AFT.org. Kate Martell from The Hill here as a friend of Bill the entire hour, uh, and a friend of all of us joining us now, Tom Perez, the new chair, I still call you the new chair, uh, of fine, the Bill. Democratic <laughs> National Committee doing a great job. Tom, it's great to see you. Bill, great to be back on your show, and Kate, great to be with you as well. Good to uh, see you, too. So uh, the summer of resistance drawing to a close here. We've talked about it at the beginning, sure. your efforts uh, uh, around the country, really, to, to kind of channel uh, and some of this, this not some of this, incredible grassroots energy 
right? that I we've mean, seen. The, I mean, How's the, it been going? Oh, I'm very excited about what we're doing. Uh, you know, Bill, our, we want to, the new DNC is all about organizing, 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 and, and leaving no zip code behind because uh, we need to compete everywhere. And our resistance summer was about a, a down payment on the new DNC. Uh, and so we had, uh, we had activity in every state. Uh, we had, uh, I'll give you just a few examples. Uh, our resistance summer funds helped to fund um, organizers in Oklahoma. Uh, there were two special elections out there. And uh, in districts where Democrats, Donald, Donald you found Trump, Democrats in Oklahoma. Well, not only that, Democrats that won <laughs> in districts where Donald Trump won by 20 points. Whoa. And uh, again, uh, it starts with having great candidates. And there were two great candidates. And, and you know what? They led with their values. The issue out there was education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. there are so many states, whether it's Oklahoma, Kansas, where you have far right leadership. And I, I say this because we, we sit here sponsored by the AFT, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, you have far-right leadership, whether it was governor, former Governor Brownback in Kansas, who were just obliterating the public infra- uh, infrastructure and education. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when Donald Trump won Kansas by 14 points last year, Democrats picked up 14 seats in the Kansas legislature. Uh, and so, you know, we're seeing, and, and Resistance Summer is about making a very clear statement that the Democratic Party is going to compete everywhere. And and our new mission, Bill, is to help elect people from the school board to the Senate. We're, we're not simply here to help elect the next president. We will obviously work hard on that. But uh, we're all in in Virginia. We've, we've made a seven-figure investment in Virginia. And as I said to Ralph Northam, the candidate for mm-hmm. governor there, mm-hmm. who I think— uh, stands a very good chance of winning. I said, Ralph, I don't want to simply help you win. I want to help you govern. And so we're not only working uh, with Ralph Northam, but there's a spectacular candidate for lieutenant governor there, a guy named Justin Fairfax. Mark Herring is one of the most effective attorneys general in the United States. We're helping to elect him. And there is a remarkable slate of candidates in the Virginia House of Delegates. And um, a very exciting opportunity in Washington state, too. Right. That's District 45, and I was out there a few months ago uh, campaigning uh, uh, for a remarkable woman who came in first. Uh, Manka is she is just um, spectacular, uh, a prosecutor, uh, done uh, great work uh, defending uh, victims of, uh, of domestic violence. Uh, she, when she wins that seat, uh, that will flip the Washington Senate Democratic. And DNC is there to help her win that race because, again, I know I I got to work for a guy who used to be a state senator back in 2004, became a U.S. senator, and then four years later became president of the United States. So you know, yeah, things, that's a good things do happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, when no. I talk about the school board to the Senate, uh, I'm not talking about just the U.S. Senate, and that's what we're doing at the Democratic Party. And Resistance Summer was about making these investments across the country, being there side by side with. Uh, the indivisible movement, with with swing left, with our friends in labor, uh, to to very clearly say, you know, we we believe as Democrats that healthcare should be a right for all and not a privilege for a few. And you know, the the pundits said that we were uh, going to lose the Affordable Care Act debate, and and we have we continue uh, to live on because of this grassroots energy. And and the basic challenge for us is to take this moment, turn it into a movement and translated into sustained success at the ballot box. And it starts right here in 2017. All right. That's the resistance summer. Uh, Tom Perez, the new chair of the DNC. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things we have seen from the Trump administration 
uh, in the last few days. Uh, one where you have a very real connection to, and that is the pardon of Joe Arpaio. Um, uh, not exactly the same treatment under the, the previous administration. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I for the benefit of your listeners, I was the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights when we uh, brought the initial case against Joe Arpaio in 2011. And uh, I've heard a lot of criticism from Donald Trump that the Obama administration um, treated him unfairly. Yeah. Well, right. here's here's the reality. Let me give you the facts of Joe Arpaio. The initial um, investigation was opened in June of 2008. George W. Bush was the president of the United States when the initial inquiry came in. Uh, under my watch, you know, we continued the investigation, and and here's what we found. He was engaged in a widespread pattern of abusive conduct. He racially profiled Latinos. He was arresting people without probable cause. He was retaliating against people who were complaining against him. Have that person arrested. There were there were protests, and he would literally uh, he, he saw people there that uh, he knew were against him, and he would single them out and have them arrested. One of the things I remember most about the case is, uh, and these aren't my words, these are the words of one of his sheriff, one of his deputies who said that uh, his actions created a quote-unquote wall of distrust between hmm. the police and the community. And, and one of the things that's truly remarkable to me is that there were uh, roughly 400 cases that we found that involved serious allegations of sexual assault, of uh, child abuse, that went uninvestigated. Why? Under him? Under Joe Arpaio. So it wasn't simply about racial profiling. In order to make sure that he could focus on whether Abuelita had papers, um, he was ignoring these very serious cases. And I think the voters of Maricopa County ultimately threw him out overwhelmingly because they were sick and tired of paying out tens of millions of dollars in civil settlements from lawsuits, and and literally tens of millions of dollars. They were sick and tired of uh, a jurisdiction that wasn't safer. And so he repeatedly violated the Constitution. We filed suit. There was a private lawsuit filed by the ACLU. Both those lawsuits had the same result, and that result was cease and desist. you got to start treating people constitutionally and fairly. And uh, and he said no, and and that's why there was a criminal contempt trial in which he was found guilty. This he's a disgrace to law enforcement, and and I was doing that case because I believe in the Constitution, and because I believe that I want to make the job of sheriff's deputies easier. And he was making that job harder. What is the message? What message does that does Trump's pardon send? Oh, it's it's again, it's red meat to his base. It, it's it's so divisive, and and when you, when when you stack it on top of, um, Charlottesville, you you stack it on top of his inability, to, um, say clearly that you know we are the United States of America, not the divided states of America. This is a person whose 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 currency is dividing people. Um, that's not who we are as a nation. And, and, and that's why, again, the voters of Maricopa County, not just Latino voters, but the voters overwhelmingly threw that guy out. And they did so because he was a disgrace 
uh, to law enforcement. And, and, and we need a president who can unite us. We need a president who understands that, you know, if you, if you burn out your, if you blow out your neighbor's candle, that doesn't make your candle shine any brighter. And this is a president who lives in that zero-sum world of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I can only get ahead if, if I bring you down. That's not who we are as a nation. Now, Mr. Chairman, I'd be curious that I'm sure you've seen the report that Joe Arpaio is considering maybe running for Senate against Jeff Flake. <laughs> what does that mean for you guys? <laughs> well, you know, uh, 60% of the vote in a statewide election in um, Arizona comes from one county, Maricopa County. The voters of Maricopa County have spoken very strongly and clearly about uh, who um, who, what they think of Joe Arpaio. And frankly, I have very little regard for, for Jeff Flake as well. If, if you look at his statement in response to the pardon of uh, Joe Arpaio, I mean, it was, it, to call it weak is, is a charitable statement. And then you look at what the governor, uh, Ducey, who's running for re-election, said, uh, oh, this is, a, th- this is an honorable man who uh, made his community safe. No, it's not. It's an honorable. It, this, this was a person who dishonored the badge, who made his community less safe. He, he called himself a law and order sheriff. No, it was lawlessness and disorder. And that's why the voters threw him out. So um, I think there's a real opportunity in um, Arizona, and and the DNC is going to be actively engaged in the races for governor there and the race for Senate. Uh, Jeff Flake has twisted himself into a pretzel. He purports to be uh, opposing Donald Trump, but when you look at his record, he's with him 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. Joe Arpaio gets pardoned, and uh, his response is milk toast at best. And uh, I, I, I give credit to John McCain. John McCain called it like he saw it. The, this, this Arpaio abused his authority, and he shouldn't have been pardoned. And, uh, and th- th- those are the facts. You mentioned Charlottesville. Um, the New Yorker uh, this week has a very powerful piece by uh, David Remnick right up front. I pointed out that maybe we shouldn't have been as surprised by what Donald Trump said in Charlottesville because this is a man who began his business career uh, not renting to uh, African Americans. Mm-hmm and was found guilty of that, right, by right. Department of well, Justice, and, and, I think. And, and, and then know. you w- w- would not reject Donald, uh, David Duke's endorsement and all the right through it, you know, the uh, yeah. um, the Stormtrooper, is that the name of the, uh, yeah, Daily Stormer, rather, website, the neo-Nazi right. website, uh, endorsed him, said, it's time to co- vote for the first time in our lives for the one man who actually represents our interest. So he gets to Charlottesville, and you got the skinheads, the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, and Donald Trump says, there's some very fine people among them. Well, and, and you judge a person by the company they're keeping. And, and this, this is a part of a pattern. And, and you know, again, to connect Joe Arpaio and, oh, and yeah, Donald Trump, right. I mean, these were two of the biggest proponents of the, the birther uh, uh, charade. Which he on, led. Um, you know, regarding Barack Obama. Uh, and it, it was... I mean, again, I, I spent a lot of time working with police departments that were um, in, that were in trouble, that that needed help, and uh, you don't need Joe Arpaio. Uh, I, I I have such respect for the challenging job that law enforcement has, and I I can tell you the number of police chiefs who say to me, Joe Arpaio is a disgrace to the badge. And, and, and when you have people like Donald Trump associating themselves with them, when you have him refusing to disavow 
people who are going to these rallies in Charlottesville, you know, with their Make America Great hat. What he should have said is, I don't want your vote. Mm-hmm. You don't stand for what we stand for. That's what Donald Trump should have done. It was fascinating to me, Bill, this past Sunday to watch Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, distancing himself from Barack Obama. I, I talked to a lot of business leaders in, in, in my uh, job as labor secretary and in my job now because there's so many business leaders who understand that, uh, you know, we can do well and do good. And, and, and the, you, you watch business leaders distancing themselves from Donald Trump because our standing in the world is getting lower and lower. And, and, and people, whether you're a business leader, whether you're a grassroots leader, whether you're a faith leader, understand that um, this is not who we are as a nation. And, and, and you know, when, when, I, right. people, when I meet people who've just gotten back from overseas travel, I'm from the United States. I'm sorry. No, he's not my president. They're, they're immediately deluged. <laughs> right. With, you know, you mentioned Rex Tillerson. That's what Rex Tillerson was saying, that we as the American people still have our sense of values, and we all share those values. And then we say, well, does Donald Trump, when Chris Wallace <laughs> says, is Donald Trump one of those? <laughs> all, all Tillerson would say is, well, he speaks for himself, right? <laughs> that was astounding. No, um, we've never seen anything like we that. Just, we need moral leadership. I mean, this is yeah. I, I one of well, my favorite people in America is um, Reverend Barber from oh, North William Carolina, Barber. now Absolutely. Bishop Barber, and uh, you know his Moral Monday movements were all about you know telling America what we stand for. Um, I mean, the, the Charlottesville is is a moral issue as much as anything. Yes, it's a national security and it's a law enforcement issue, but it's a moral issue. Uh, standing up against hate, that's something we must do. And 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 you you it's it's easy for some Republicans to stand up in the aftermath of Charlottesville. But where are they in the aftermath of these oppressive voter ID laws? Where are they in the aftermath of of Joe Arpaio? You know, prejudice does not deserve a pardon. And 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 to me, um, history has its eye on us. As, as a nation. And, and the appalling silence, Bill, of so many Republicans in the face of day after day of divisive behavior that is so inconsistent with our values as a nation. That's why I spend so much time as the Democratic Party chair talking about what we stand for. You know, saying, and, and yesterday we were talking to some reporters about the president's um, apparent um, you know, desire, a potential desire, and I hope he doesn't follow through on it, to do away with um, the DACA, DACA. program. Um, I that's unconscionable. That, yeah. I mean, he, he said uh, earlier this year, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm worried about uh, criminals. Yes. And, and these right. are not criminals, not dreamers. And, and, and yet, um, again, appealing to the far right base, um, you know, he may be taking action there. I hope he doesn't, because I was at the Justice Department when the, the DACA program was put in place. It's on sound legal footing. And, and it's, it's a national security imperative to retain it. It's a, it's a moral imperative uh, to retain it. And, it, and, and you know, the, the, one of the first fatalities in the most recent war in Iraq was Lance Corporal Jose Gutierrez. Jose mm-hmm. Gutierrez came to this country um, very young, parents. Uh, yeah. from Guatemala. He um, had his status adjusted. He loved this country so much that he enlisted in the U.S. Army as a legal immigrant. 
By the way, just as my my dad was uh, served this nation as a legal immigrant, mm. and my uncles um, as well from the Dominican Republic, and they did it with pride. And 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 Lance Corporal Gutierrez made the ultimate sacrifice. He got his citizenship posthumously. Uh, dreamers aren't simply a group of 800,000 young people who want an opportunity. Dreamers are a pretty good value statement about who we are as a Absolutely. nation. Yeah. And, um, and I know good. I'm going to keep fighting like heck to make sure that program's in place. And, and I, I, I very much appreciate those state attorneys general out there, like my friend Javier Becerra and, and Mark Herring yeah. and, and uh, so many others who are uh, poised to take action if the president uh, tries to do away with that program. Yeah, now, Mr. Chairman, I'm curious, um, just to take the issue of Charlottesville one step further, I would be curious to hear what you think should happen to the Confederate monuments um, in the U.S. Capitol. Well, you know, they belong in museums, uh, <laughs> perhaps, and we can study them. But uh, to, to pay homage to, uh, well, in Maryland, where I live, to the likes of Roger Taney, I, I think that is uh, not someone we should pay homage to. And... and uh, you know, I thought Baltimore City, where, again, mm-hmm. I, I used yeah. to work, they uh, <laughs> quietly and methodically one evening removed yeah. Uh, yeah. recently uh, the, the, those, those symbols of a harsh past. Uh, and um, I said, good for you. Yeah. Good, what <laughs> way a, to what, go, Mayor. <laughs> what a, yeah, right. What, a, what yeah. a contrast in the way that was handled. So, um, uh, Mr. Chairman, we've seen one other shoe drop here. Every time uh, Donald Trump says there's nothing to this whole Russian investigation— we turn around and there's one more evidence that there was a connection, if not collusion, at least. The latest is, of course, sure. that from starting in September of 15, 2015 to January 2016, in the middle of the presidential campaign, we now know, thanks to Bloomberg, Washington Post, New York mm-hmm. Times, that uh, Donald Trump's attorney was reaching out to Vladimir Putin for help building a hotel, a Trump Tower in Moscow. Well, it's not hard to figure out why Donald Trump didn't want to release his tax returns. It's not hard <laughs> to figure out why he hasn't want to talk about uh, his interactions. And it's, it's, it's not hard to figure out why he's had this bromance with uh, Putin and hasn't wanted... He, he's the only person in Washington who apparently doesn't believe that uh, the Russians meddled in the U.S. election at an unprecedented level. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I spent over a decade at the Department of Justice, and um, I have great respect for the work that um, uh, Director Mueller is doing. One thing that's very clear to me, uh, when you're involved in an investigation, and I've been involved in a number of public corruption investigations, you you open one door and you discover that there are 10 more doors behind mm. it, and then you discover there are, there are uh, mm. trap doors, and, and you have to follow every lead. Uh, their work is getting more and more complicated. Um, it's very clear to me that um, um, Flynn and Manafort uh, have serious criminal exposure. And it's becoming increasingly clear that uh, as they follow the trail where the trail leads them, that you're going to see other folks who are very, very heavily implicated in this. And and it's, it's, it's amazing to me. I, I, I can't help but reflect on what the Republicans would do if the tables were turned. If, if Hillary Clinton had won the election and evidence emerged that she had been colluding with uh, uh, Donald Trump, uh, with, with uh, Putin, uh, during the course of the election, um, I mean, well, you, they would not have imagine, seated her. Right. They would not have seated her. Um, and and the, the deafening silence of all too many people in the face of this is just unconscionable. This, this is 
Um, I mean, this is a threat to our democracy. And and you know, when when the when the French election took place, um, we had a sock in our mouth. And, and fortunately, the, the Russians tried to interfere in that election. Fortunately, they were um, unsuccessful because they were ham-handed in in their efforts. But we should be out there helping our our allies, not uh, putting a sock in our mouth. And and there's just so many examples of how. We've disrespected our allies abroad, and we have this affront to our democracy at home. And and with every day, the plot thickens. And I'm pretty confident that we will continue to read things in the weeks and months ahead that will make us shake our head. And and I I, I go out there and there I, I get asked sometimes, well, why should I care about this? Um, this is about our democracy. I mean, this is this is about a president who believes that he's above the law. This is about a president who I, I think looks at the presidency as almost a loss leader for mm-hmm. his business empire, mm-hmm. and, um, and 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 a president who who wants to write his own set of rules. I mean, the notion that he would call up Jeff Sessions in the middle of the criminal prosecution of uh, Joe Arpaio, Arpaio and say, "Dump the case," I can tell you with certainty that Barack Obama never called Eric Holder mm-hmm. in the middle of any uh, criminal case and said, uh, stop prosecuting my friend. And and this is no different than him talking to uh, um, former director Comey and saying, hey, can you go light on my pal Flynn? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is so out of bounds. And, and, and we cannot, we, we can't normalize these ethical lapses. We can't normalize um, this chronic... Um, disrespect for the rule of law and 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 the, the you know the the New Yorker piece that you talk about. I mean, that my my biggest fear or one of my fears, Bill, is you know for for my children. I don't want them to see. I don't want them to think of this as um, normal behavior uh, for leaders in this country. This is not leadership, and that's why we are standing up. And, and calling this out as as Democrats and talking about what we stand for, not just talking about what we stand against. Well, so um, the part of this movement, right, uh, that you are leading now, if there are our listeners, our viewers who want to be part of it, part of the resistance, they want to plug in, they want to be part of the summer of resistance, what do they do? Yeah. What can they do? Oh, get on uh, Democrats.org. Uh, I mean, we, we have um, the most immediate thing we can uh, use folks for is Virginia. Uh, Virginia and New Jersey are the the two most important races this November. This year is starting to feel a lot to me like 2005. In 2005, Bill, we had a Republican president, unpopular, pursuing a far-right agenda with a far-right Republican Congress. 2005 was the last year that we won both races in Virginia and in New Jersey. I think we can do it again this year, but I hope your listeners will volunteer. All right, there you go, at Democrats.org. With that note of optimism, Mr. Chairman, thanks for coming in. Thanks for being who you are. Keep Always up the good fight. Bill. Yes. Great right. to be with you. Thank you, Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.